Welcome to the Disconnection Podcast. My name is Ben Haramadi, and I'm here with Kyle Nielsen, and we're your hosts for today's show. During this episode at Disconnection, we'll be speaking to Ari Marome. Ari, so glad to have you in the studio today. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're very happy to have you on. Uh, Ari, so you are an entrepreneur. You own your own business, uh, but you didn't start off in the current business that you have. Uh, You used to be a a club promoter, and before that, you were in school. You went to college for a little bit, uh, decided to make some money. Um, But let's go even prior. When you were a kid, how was it that you found yourself wanting to um, sell almost, you know, you, you sell yourself as an entrepreneur, right? Yes. So I think my entrepreneurial spirit stems from my parents. Uh, My father was in real estate. My mother worked on wall street as an executive. Um, and then she got into the consulting side of, uh, financial institutes. Um, so at a young age, I was always going to real estate meetings, open houses, hearing my mother on the phone, hearing my father on the phone. And um, I was just very motivated to make money. That was something that was, you saw your parents and you wanted to replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to replicate it. And then at a young age, I started working, uh, started learning that uh, money doesn't go from trees. I was uh, definitely privileged growing up, but I was not... uh, um, fed uh, with a silver spoon, should I say? Like an allowance? No, I didn't really have an allowance. I was pretty much uh, making my own money since I was about 15, 16 years old and supporting myself since then. What was your first job? My first job on the books was working as a busboy at Cafe Angelique in Tenafly, New Jersey, actually. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't the you know, the fancy busboy that just cleaned the tables. I was actually the one in the back cleaning the dishes and uh, throwing out the garbage and cleaning the floors and the bathrooms and all the dust around the windowsills and cleaning all the silverware, setting it up, etc., putting the tables inside it. Uh, at night and taking it out in the morning. So less than savory beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. But you grew in. You knew what you wanted from that. Like at that point, did you knew that? Did you know that you wanted to start your own business? That you wanted to become a self-made. Human at being? that point, I knew that I was just gonna have to work hard to be successful. Gotcha. I didn't really know that I wanted to own my own business, um, but I knew that uh, it was very hard for me to take orders from someone above me, so that I was eventually gonna have to own my own business essentially or work for yourself in some yeah sort or, of manner. yeah exactly yeah so what did that what was the next step after angelique i worked there as a bus boy then the next summer i worked there as a waiter then i went to go work across the street at this mediterranean restaurant middle eastern restaurant uh, hamsa at the time mm-hmm. then i worked went back to angelique then i moved to israel for six months then when i returned i went to go work back at hamsa um, Let's back it up. What'd you do in Israel for six months? Or even before that? I deferred my first semester of college because I went to a boarding school for my last two years of high school and I just needed to breathe and like wanted to travel and I loved Israel. I almost went to college in Israel. And then I went, when I went there, I was going to just honestly waiter, busboy, whatever was needed and just travel. But uh, I didn't understand how expensive it is to live alone yet. <laughs> so yeah. I got there with $1,100. And within the first weekend there, I spent about 600 of it. So <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't last too long. I ended up only staying four months. I got bored there. Um, I, I couldn't make money there. And if I couldn't make money, I couldn't really travel or enjoy. I mean... It would take me like three buses to get to like the club, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I went out by walking to the place, like literally miles. Um, so when I came back, I knew that I was gonna have to go work. So I just started college and I was working at Hamsa on the weekends. I'd work Saturday night for about four or five hours and then eight hours to 10 hours on Sunday. So I'd walk home with like 250 for the weekend, which... But the main point, actually, is that I also realized how expensive it is to eat out. So I would actually take the food 
uh, that we'd make on Sunday, and it would last me until about Wednesday, Thursday, as like, you know, lunch and dinners, like hummus, you know, like little dishes and etc. that the owner would let me take. Um, so that helped out. And then... Are you are you living at home while you're working at Hamza? No, no, no. I was living in the dormitories, actually. Really nice dorms on 55th between 2nd and 3rd at Marymount Manhattan College. Um, so you were coming back to Jersey? I was work? coming back to Jersey. Jeez. And I would take the bus back sometimes. Or if somebody was in the city, they'd come pick me up. But on the way back, my brother or my mother or father would always drive me back to the city like at like 10 p.m. on Sunday night. And then I'd go to class the next day. God's work driving you like that. Yeah, Holy. it was it was crazy. And then in the first semester, I, met, I went to a rooftop party on St. Patrick's Day. And my school was about 85% women, 10% gay, and 5% straight, I'd say, male. And uh, I went to this rooftop party, and I brought, like, 40 girls with me from, like, the dormitory. And when I got there, some one of the guys was working in nightlife at the time, and he's like, listen, like, looks like you know how to, like, bring people to a party and host um, you're entertaining, etc. You should come work for me in nightlife and get paid to do this. I was like, this guy's full of shit. Like, what do you mean get paid to do this? Like, that that sounds like a dream. Like, yeah. party and you know get to hang out with beautiful women. Um, so I like basically signed up right away. Like, there was obviously no paperwork, <laughs> but I was like, I'm in. <laughs> so the first it was a Wednesday was the first night he actually told me to come to work with him, and I think I brought like. 19 girls on a Wednesday, which was a lot back then. Because, like, first off, I just started. Second off, Wednesdays, most promoters bring, like, 5 to 10, maybe 15, 20 girls. It's, like, a lot. You know, not a lot of people go out on Wednesdays. Um, and I was working with him probably for about two months. And I didn't get paid at all. Every week, it was a different excuse. It was this bullshit, that bullshit. And I just really couldn't continue to survive by doing that so i was like listen either i'm going to get out of this business or i'm going to need to start getting paid and he wasn't doing well personally it looked like he was doing well because of the numbers that i was bringing right and i was working underneath him so he took all the credit mm-hmm. and all sold money and uh, so he's a schmuck he is definitely a schmuck um but he was a schmuck that taught me not like if after two weeks somebody dodged you with payments like just cut your losses don't continue to work there because you're uh you know the horse with a carrot in front of its face that's never gonna get it um so i met some other guys in the industry and they're like i'll come work for me come work for me like i started doing like a lot of numbers you know like 20 to 50 and then i partnered up with a friend named mike uh who I actually wasn't really close with in high school, but I heard that he started doing it a little bit. And I was like, listen, like, let's do it together. Let's do like one big party and see how it goes. And like, let's work for someone that says they're going to pay us. And if we get paid, like, we'll continue working together. And we did this party. It must have been in July of 2011. How old are you at No, the maybe time? Ju- July 2010. I was... I just turned 19, (laughs) so I was not really legal to even go into clubs, (laughs) but the way I held myself, I never got carded once, honestly, in all my years. Like, at a club that I worked at, I never got carded once. The manager would wait outside, I'd introduce myself, he would introduce me to the doorman, the security, the cocktail waitresses, the hosts, everyone. And that night that we did it, we must have brought about 115, 110 to 115 people, I'd say. And we got paid on about 100 people, and if you multiply it times the, the dollar per person that would walk in. We made a lot of money that night for a 19-year-old. So my question is, how do you get 115 people at a club like that? So we would use social media. BBM, BlackBerry Messenger was really big back then, so you got to do one mass BBM and it would pop out in purple, um, (laughs) which was the best thing ever. Those Blackberries were great, man. I've missed The Blackberries were the best. You could type so fast. It's not like these Apple, you know? Great great keyboard on them. Great keyboard. (laughs) It was actually funny. I I never had like a fancy phone. I actually, somebody gave me their old Razor when I moved back to Israel, (laughs) when I moved back from Israel. And I had to, like, I realized that I can't continue messaging, you know, dozens to hundreds of people a day. On a on a on a, on a, razor, on a yeah. flip phone, mm-hmm. so I, I actually remember I went to Verizon in Midtown and I bought my first BlackBerry and I was like, I think I think I had like <laughs> three hundred dollars in my bank account. I just spent two hundred bucks, you know, with the on the phone. I was like, 
I'm all in. <laughs> That's the tool right there. Well, that was your tool. That ended up helping yeah. you find these people, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, trying to work without having a computer nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I got this phone. I learned how to use it pretty quickly. And then I built a system, honestly, that every day at around 12 o'clock, I'd start texting as many people as I can. And I'd categorize these ladies that I'd introduce myself. I, I introduce myself to anyone. If you were beautiful and you were walking into a yellow cab, I went and gave you a business card. If I met you in the subway, if I met you at a pizza place, if you were waiting in line at Starbucks, if you were walking down the street to the club or I saw you at a restaurant sitting, sometimes I would interrupt your dinner politely and just say, hi, my name's Ari. Here's my card. Enjoy dinner. Hit me up when you'd like to go out. I'd love to take you out. You know, short and sweet. Uh, and I remember the women would actually text me, like the most random ones that I'd meet. I remember one time I got a text message from a girl, and she's like, hey, you, you ran after my cab down the street. <laughs> you gave me your card, but I'm looking to go out tonight. And I was like, wow, I actually remember that girl. Wow. <laughs> um, anyways, I'm going all over the place right now. So to focus, I'm 19. I'm like focusing on this big event. I must have worked on this event for about two to three weeks with Mike. And we brought everyone there. and But the biggest issue wasn't even bringing them there. That was like the easy part because between the ages of 18 to 21, all you want to do is go out as every night, as many times as possible. Sure, yeah. Like if there's a brunch party and then there's a, a, a midday party and then a club party at night, like you want to go to all three, you know? <laughs> so the issue was the IDs actually. So I realized that the IDs are going to hold me back because everyone had really shitty IDs. And not to get too much into detail today, but I realized that I had to figure out how to supply people with the best fake IDs possible. And there was this guy in China doing all this work at the time. It was called ID Chief. But not everyone had the guts, I'll say, to wire you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars to Western Union to some guy in China that all you have is his email. And he, you're sending him all these photos and details for all you know, it could be like the FBI. Dude, I still remember the website. It was some seriously sketchy shit he had there. <laughs> yeah. It was like some black background, like the dark web looking shit, right? It really it, did. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, the way that you'd like uh, the black market. Exactly. If, you, if, if the yeah, black exactly. market had a website, that was his <laughs> website, you know? And uh, what was interesting was that he, the way he'd ship it, he would literally ship it in in kids' toys boxes, like in a car, <laughs> in a golf set, in a dollhouse. You know, in a Barbie, like, you'd, like, crack the Barbie in half. Like, it was an oversized Barbie. And, like, you know, you you just smash on the floor and, like, 30 IDs would pop out. Wow. That's some illegal shit. And, like, <laughs> transporting it like drugs almost, you yeah. know? That's intense. Yeah. It, you know, now we're understanding shipping. Like, you know, seven years later, eight years later, I understand uh, how he had to declare it. And it was all gifts and toys. Um, but back then... But before ID Chief, actually, the issue was I was I had this guy in Midtown that was friends with the scumbag promoter that I worked for for a little bit mm. that had he had everything. He had the laminations. He had the holograms. He had shitty holograms because he'd stamp them. They weren't holograms that were made from the mm. lamination. He'd stamp it with a stamp like the California. Mm. It was always California, <laughs> but we couldn't find the proper material to print it on. And I and then I when I when I saw ID chiefs coming, I was like, wow, they're actually the proper white. It was a little bit too white, uh, the the cards, but it worked. It scanned a black light, and it worked. Um, and w the way I would test it is, I would take the idea and make one for me, and I'd go to a random bar and see how it worked. And I remember one time I actually met one of the bouncers of of like one of the higher end clubs at the time. It was like One Oak, and uh, I took it to this Upper East Side bar and I took this California ID and he's like, it's, it's fake. And I was like, well, first off, tell me how you know this. You know, like I was like, kept the, he took out this beautiful book. He really explained the details to me about how he can tell it. And I was like, I got to get this down. And then I found ID chief. Anyways, fast forwarding a little bit. I partnered up with Mike. We got, we started to get paid. We did well. It was July. By December, he started slacking. Like he wasn't like, you know, introducing he wasn't continuously networking he was focusing off of his own network and within your own network people don't go out you know they start slowing it down a little as bit they during, get older, yeah. as they get older but also it's not the summer anymore 
now it's the school year and they have exams, they have uh, classes in the morning. So you're continually networking Correct. with all of those girls allowed you to constantly have a new network. I continued to network when the fall semester started. So I'd always meet new girls in September and then I'd meet them in, you know, every month. And he focused more on the home base of everyone that he knew from New Jersey to come, but they were all away. Um, so it wasn't really fair because we were 50-50 and... You know, if we brought 100 people, I was bringing 90 of them. And, wow. Yeah. And Drastic difference. So I remember I gave him his last paycheck because I collected all the money and everything. I did. I really did everything. Um, gave him the paycheck, and we just really went our own way. And he was a really fun guy to party with, though. I mean, we'd, we'd get home at like 7, 8 a.m., and... He would. He was older, so he would do all the. He would drive. He would pick up the girls. He would arrange this. He would arrange that. Um, and then, I named the company Ari Gold Group because when I get to the door, they'd be like, "Oh, your name's Ari, like Entourage, like Ari Gold." So my brother came up with the idea. He's like, "Just call yourself Ari Gold." And then I was like, "Well, we should make it seem bigger than it is. So why don't we call it Ari Gold Group?" So everyone thought like. Even even like recently, I'm about to sell a laser to some one of the doormen who's opening up a med spa, which is actually really funny how, you know, everything comes back in a full circle. And he's like, you know, it's crazy. I remember you used to bring like hundreds of girls to the club and you had so many promoters underneath you. And in my head, I'm like, I didn't have anyone working for me. <laughs> it was had, all me. It was all me. And I had one girl named Nicole uh, who worked with me and she was like an assistant slash uh, future partner i mean she was the best uh, that that woman's the most talented woman i've ever met anything that i needed done she would arrange she was sharp as attacked she was enthusiastic as hell and uh, she knew what she was doing in regards to networking to hosting to holding another table to saying no to saying yes to making quick decisions and uh, so i I focused on the underage crowd because they came out more. They needed me more because I got very close with a lot of the owners, managers, and most importantly, the bouncers who I would take care of. I mean, I'd put at least 500 to $1,500 a night in the bouncers' pockets. You know, Very generous. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> not from my money. Yeah. I would collect it from the girls or the guys that were coming. And, they had and then to, you'd give them a cut. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd give them everything. I didn't want a cut. That wasn't, that, it wasn't greedy. It was, that's his pay. Mm. I get paid per head. This is my job. This is your job. Cool. Um, the, I had FIT on lockdown. I had LIM on lockdown. I had Pace. I had Marymount. I had NYU crowd. I had, you know. These are all the different schools all in the New York All the different schools area. in Manhattan. And I even yeah. had Manhattan College that was like in the Bronx. So you solved the ID problem. You started, you had no problem getting these people in after you got your system working. Then what's most interesting to me is what your marketing techniques were over this time. So you had your BBM mass messaging. I remember Ari Gold glasses just like showing up everywhere. So you, I, I tell had us this, about I had that. The, I, had this, I made stickers and the girls would just take their tops off and I would just sticker <laughs> their breasts, honestly. And they would walk around the clubs like just flashing everyone and it was amazing. And then like I'd pour the bottle down like their throat. Like almost like it was actually like Kirill was here, but like Oh my god, I but forgot not. about that guy. Yeah, the slut whisperer. The slut whisperer the on slut social media. Whisperer. I saw him recently. Yeah, but I knew yeah. that when I was eighteen I knew that I wanted to get out of this business by twenty five. Mm. And nothing against him, but <laughs> it's different when it's different when you're the same age as the girls compared to when you're ten when you're ten years older and the girls are eighteen. Sure. <laughs> Gets a little weird. So anyways, these girls would do it really anything I asked for them because I would do so much for them for their birthdays to make them go out, to make them feel special, never wait in line. So they'd sticker their their chest with or without their shirts on, they'd sticker their butts, they'd sticker their arms, they'd sticker their you know, and then they had those glow lights that they'd give out the clubs. It was like these one, uh, these white foam lights that you'd hold that were soft, so like you couldn't like hit someone with, but like it like l would light up. And this was like when the electric music started like uh -huh. really coming in. So I'd buy those with the Ari Gold Group on them, but those were expensive. It was like really expensive. But I was like, in regards to marketing, people can't know who you are. People can't hit you up and use your services if they don't know who you are. Right. So the number one thing is marketing before anything. Otherwise you have no business. So I focus on stickers. The IDs helped me actually meet more people. 
the glow lights. I built a website. I built an iPhone application actually at one point. Um, Facebook, BlackBerry Messenger, um, word of mouth because I gave good customer service. You're also mm. giving IDs. So anyone that's getting a good ID is all of a sudden going, yo, by the way, like, you should check him out. Correct. And not only that, the way ID chief worked is that they would ship me two IDs. So I'd give one to John Smith and I'd have an extra one of John Smith. And that next time somebody looked like John Smith wanted to come out, I would just let them borrow the ID for a second and walk in. So I had it really on lockdown. Fast forward, I turned 21 and I'm like, seeing that I'm making great money, but I want to make more. And Were you in school at all during this time? I was in school from 18 to 21. And then I was like, "It's the summer's coming along. Like I'm going to be doing the Ari Gold Group. It's actually my most successful summer. But I decided I wanted to get my New Jersey real estate license because I wanted to, because I moved, was moving back to Jersey for a little bit. And which sucked. I, I really enjoy living in the city. There's nothing like Manhattan for me. And I moved back to Jersey. I go took me about, I'd say, a month to get my New Jersey license, maybe like six weeks. And I really wanted to prove to myself that, you know, I wasn't, I did well on exams I studied for, but I wasn't like a top student. You know, I got by, mm -hmm. I got my, you know, B's and C's and sometimes my A's, you know, and I was really good with bartering. I had my Adderall prescription, so people would write my, my, my essays <laughs> and they'd get a couple of pills <laughs> so that they could do their own essays. The classic college bartering right. system right they'd there. Like, it's going to be $50. Well, here, here's, here's your form of payment. Here's, here, uh, I'll, I'll Venmo you five, five 10 milligrams. <laughs> um, and I realized that I, it just didn't make sense. I was spending all this money on college. I was taking dance classes as an elective, African-American history, you know, speech. I was like, this has nothing to do with business. Why are you making me spend an extra three, four grand a class to take these electives? So I moved over to go to community college for a semester. And in community college, within the first two months, I stopped. I was like, it's not for me. So I got my New Jersey license in the summer, kind of going back and forth, but got my New Jersey license in the summer. And I started to work in real estate for about a month. And I know that the pipeline to close a real estate deal is a long time and there's no salary. So my brother had a friend that was working in the laser business as a technician, as a repair guy, and he was doing really well. And then he took on a partner to start a company called Parts for Laser. And they were actually based in New Jersey, the town over from me. So they were in Tenafly, and they were doing well. So my brother was like, listen, they will, They need a sales rep. Go work there, and you'll get a salary, and you'll also get commissions, and you'll learn how to, you know, work there also. So I was really not into it. I didn't know how to spell laser. I don't know what the, the hell these guys want from <laughs> is me. Is it an S or a Z? It's actually with an S. Oh, wow! I, I thought it learn was, something I, new every day. I thought it was with a Z. So they're like, "All right, come work for me." I get the job. I go there the first day. We got there. I got there at like eight a.m. I didn't get home until midnight. Wow. And they must have racked in like probably like 20-25k that day in repairs. I was like, listen, if these two guys that barely can speak English, you know, can do this, then there's something special about it. But it was very unique because every single person that we'd go to to pick up or do a repair job, they were so appreciative. And I was like, what's going on here? So they started explaining to me that these manufacturers of the laser companies after you buy the machine for about $100,000, $150,000, you have to pay these annual service contracts to have the repairs, like under like a warranty. And they didn't require those service contracts. You know, if something broke, they'd come and they'd fix it for a lot lower of a rate. So the business owners were really appreciative that they weren't held by the balls anymore, honestly, mm -hmm. by these monopoly manufacturers that they didn't have, you know, Nikki and Johnny on each corner as mechanics to fix your Toyota. You know, there was no laser technicians. And if they w they were, there weren't really anyone in the Northeast. Or, and if there were, they were so damn busy. So it was very hard to get, you know, quick service. You know, I call it the New York Minute now with the New York Laser Outlet that were there, you know, same day guaranteed um, with loaners available. You know, that's fast forwarding it. But they were giving really good customer service. And then they started to get really busy. And I started to do the sales for them. And it took me about six months to actually close the deal. I really 
it took me a while to understand the technology. Like, are you during those six months? Are you still working for uh, Club? I ev- I was working every Thursday and Saturday, running the Ari Gold Group, which generated me enough income to live off, um, for sure. And so any and then I had a really small base salary. I think I made like five hundred bucks a week at a uh, parts laser. So it was really just commission. Mm-hmm. But then once I started to learn how to sell these machines and how to interact with people on a, you know, selling a capital equipment and not just bringing the girl to the door and getting her in and stickering her up. Um, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I was selling, I'd get in there at nine and by one o'clock I'd, you know, rack in a couple of thousand dollars on a commission. I'd be like, I'm going home or I'm going on like a, on like a week vacation. Like, wow. So I started like, I, I, I saved money. Don't get me wrong, but I, I was definitely spending a lot now that I look <laughs> back. And I started to do really well there. Fast forward about two years later, it was the summer of 2014. And one of the family friend, Ronan, is a dear gentleman that I loved working with and absolutely adore but his partner I really was not getting along with. And I had these really great ideas, you know, to open up a showroom in Manhattan. I was like, listen, all the big clients, all the plastic surgeons, the dermatologists, the big medical spas, you know, they're doing multi-million dollar businesses. They're all in Manhattan. Also, the laws are uh, a lot more lenient in New York than Mm. New Jersey. Like an aesthetician can do laser hair removal in New York, while in New Jersey, you have to be a doctor. So what's an esthetician? An esthetician is someone that generally completed about 600 hours of cosmetology school. So aesthetic <clears throat> school. Okay. So you can be without your MD doing uh, <clears throat> uh, legally buying lasers in New York City. And I'm sure that just opens up shitload more clients for you. You can be right? blind, have one hand <laughs> and not know how to speak English and operate a laser in New York. Okay. Knock on wood. So what were these New Jersey guys thinking? So you were thinking ahead and they were not five. They were comfortable. I mean, listen, the mid-40s, they have kids, they have a wife, they have a home. Sure. They're within three to ten-minute driving distance, each one from the office. So they're dream. They're making good money. And you're this young buck coming in trying to change it up a little bit. I was 21 years old. So when I opened up New York Laser Outlet, I was 23. And... I thought I was going to be a millionaire overnight. I swear to God, I didn't understand <laughs> Like, Because I didn't really have any costs besides my marketing expenses at with Ari Gold Group. But now I have to pay for desks and computers and rent and, you know, buy a car and buy a van and pay employees. And I was like, all right, even though I'm selling a lot of money, I guess there's this thing called expenses and I have to <laughs> learn how to read the books. And <laughs> So it was the summer of August 2004. Uh, of 2014 and, and probably once every two weeks I'd have breakfast with Ronan and try to pitch him this idea because I Yoram wasn't on board my other boss with the New York office and I was not going to give up on it I was like listen I live in Manhattan I'm reverse commuting I'm here by 9 by 9.30 I'm out of the office running to Long Island or Manhattan to go to a meeting with a doctor it doesn't make sense I was like I don't need a big space I really need like under a thousand square feet It'll just be me. I'll run it. I don't even want to be a partner. Like, I, I'll just work for you. Because, like, I was so nervous because it's a really difficult market. It's a really high entry point to get into this business. Because you have, you have to understand the parts. You have to repair the equipment. You have to know how to buy. You have to know how, what the market value is worth. And it's a, you know, it's not a, there's no Kelly Blue Book. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't a car industry that's, you know, regulated or, um, so... I thought about doing it on my own, but I was just, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. I didn't think that I'd be able to get all the repairs done. You were nervous about and, taking that step. And I was a salesperson. I wasn't, I wasn't, I owned my own business previously, but I didn't, you know, didn't want to focus on logistics during the day. Where's the shipping? Why is it late? Why is the client frustrated? Why, you know, I always give good customer service, but in regards to what I was selling. So they were not having it for two months. I'm pitching them every week. Open me in New York, open me in New York. They weren't having it. And eventually they started to like miss, mess around with my commissions. Now, you don't really ever want to mess around with a sales rep's uh, money because they'll lose motivation. They'll have uh, bad vibes during the day. Salespeople need to be clear-headed every day. 
every day is a new day that they have the potential and sky is that they have the potential to make a trillion dollars. Sky is the limit. There's no cap rate. Um, so you, they can't have stress or bad vibes or, wow, my boss just screwed me over, you know, with thousands of dollars worth of commissions. You know, are they going to do it to me in the next deal? Am I nervous? Should I even close this deal? Should I go look for another job? So I started to look into where I can buy the parts because they wouldn't sell it to me if I opened up my own business. And I kept calling other companies and pretending to be somebody else so that, God forbid, because my bosses really sold parts to everyone all over the world and I knew that it would get back to them. Anyways, they had a technician that was working there for about eight months. Very smart guy. His name is Ron. He's my partner now. And he moved to Seattle, Washington in July 2014. So when I pitched it to my brother about opening up a business and investing in me, he's like, if you want to do it properly, you have to find a repair guy. And I was like, listen, there's no laser technicians. Like, where? And then Ron came to mind. I was like, this is very weird. I wasn't really close with him at the job. And... I called him in October, and I was like, listen, Ron, I got this idea. I know we don't really talk. Come to New York. He's like, listen, all right, I'm, I'm married. I live in Seattle, Washington. What do you want from me? I was like, I got this idea, and I need you. <laughs> get on a plane <laughs> and get over here. I don't really want to hear it. Anyways, I convinced him to get on this plane. <laughs> and he lands on a Saturday night, and I guess I was just so excited I didn't really think it through that I had to go work at the Art Gold Group that night. So I had my mom, who never met Ron before in his life, and Ron never met my mom in his life. Mom, go pick my this mom guy My mom goes to Newark Airport to pick him up the airport. So he gets to the, they meet each other at the airport for the first time, and he actually sleeps. She, has, she lives in Inglewood, and she has an extra room, so he slept there. So on Sunday morning, my brother and I drove there by, like, 10 a.m., you know? We were out until, like, 5 working, and I sit them all down in the living room, and I'm like, so, guys, we're going to open up this company. We're going to be based in Manhattan, and we're going to buy, sell, rent, and repair cosmetic lasers. And they're like, Yo, my brother was on board because, like, he wanted to open. He, want, he, had some, he had some capital that he wanted to invest in, so... My mother was on board because she just lost her job at Wells Fargo. But to convince Ron to jump on board when he and, and he, move from across and the country was probably the most difficult thing ever. I mean, in my head, all I saw was like you know, ringing the bell on like Wall Street, you know, <laughs> becoming publicly traded and opening up this multi hundreds of million dollar business and and all, the only thing I'm missing is a fucking technician and I'm like <laughs> you're doing it you're fucking moving to New York anyways <laughs> I'm like the whole business depends on this fucking guy that's gonna fix the machines you know I, I need to have him and he was smart and he was honest and he's a good guy and it's important that when you partner with someone that you understand that it's really a marriage. It's even more than a marriage because you're with them all day. So it's November now. And on November 5th, I got terminated from Parts for Laser because they found out that I was trying to open up another business. That day was probably the most adrenaline I've ever had in my life. I got terminated by 9.30 in the morning, and by 11.30, I was on 57th in Madison meeting with these Syrian Jews and another laser guy that wants to open up in New York that has a place in Florida. And I'm sitting with probably about probably about over half a billion dollars worth of, worth of, you know... Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs in the room. And I was like, yep. I'm going to be the salesman, blah, blah, blah. I was, I was thinking about coming to actually not open up a company and just go to do sales because I was so good at it and work for this guy that wants to open up in New York. He had a place in Miami. And it just didn't sit right. They were just really unethical. And I didn't like the way that they were doing the business. And I called my brother. And he, he came to the meeting. And we went out for drinks and the whole nine yards. And by the next day, my brother and I looked at each other and my brother actually said, we have to proceed as if they're not opening up and that we're doing this on our own, which is exactly what I didn't want to hear. You know, it's easy to go work somewhere. There's a desk, you have a phone, you have a, uh, a back office, you have someone to report to, you know, but to do it on your own, I was like, shit, like, like the pressure's I on. don't have money coming in besides from Ari Gold Group, which was good money, but half of what I was making and 
then we started doing the repair jobs in my mom's kitchen. And throughout November, we just grew really quickly because after I got fired, I just called people all day long. I think I was calling people for about 15 hours a day nonstop. Hey, I opened up a company. We buy, sell, rent, and repair. We have a showroom in New York. Use our services. Hey, just cold calling, calling clients, going on Yelp and just Googling laser hair removal and just cold calling them. You know, and I had no business cards yet even. So I put my mom in charge of ordering business cards, you know, buying all the website domains on on GoDaddy. My goal was just to get the word out, just market, build a Facebook page, build a... My brother was focused on the website. I was focusing on letting the world know who we are, what we're going to do, and how we're going to help them and their businesses grow. Ron was focusing on buying tools. I mean, when you go work for someone, there's a tool box at least. So now at like 9 o'clock, we're going to like West New York and buying the cheapest tools possible because they didn't need to be from the Home Depot and be $10 for a screwdriver. It could be $2 from China. Mm-hmm. Just get the damn thing to, to just have the proper you know fittings to open up these machines. I mean, even buying a desk was difficult at the time. We didn't start off with a lot of money, um, meaning that we didn't have multi-millions of dollars invested into this right. company that I could just go on a shopping spree. And also, I, I didn't even have a credit card yet for the company. So everything was literally like Out of pay today. It wasn't like net 30 or net 60. Mm-hmm. I didn't have payment terms. Um, so that's how it was for the fir- first 30 days. We literally were taking out my mother's kitchen stove to use the 220 outlet to plug in some of these machines to turn them on so we could start fixing them. And, like, her kitchen table became the repair table. So, like, we're opening up these, like, hand pieces on the table and I'm taking photos and, like, I'm just laughing my ass off. I'm like, we're in, like, 1,300-square-feet apartment. I have, like, my, my sister's room was my new showroom. I had, like, five machines that we purchased from Virginia, which was the which was actually what made us. I got this call from this, like, there's, like, an eBay for, like, medical devices. It's called DotMed. Mm. And one of the reps there was, like, listen, there's this doctor that just called. He's retiring. He wants to sell all of his equipment. Here's his cell phone directly so you don't have to wait on the auction. Like, he gave me, like, the lead, like, under the table kind of thing. And obviously, I took care of him for it. I gave him a couple hundred bucks for the for the deal. So I called this doctor in Virginia and, like, the people in the South, I mean, that's not even, like, the real South. Like, they're just slow. Like, <laughs> like, they're just, like, they just don't understand New Yorkers. Anyways, I call him. I'm like, listen, what equipment do you have? What's the year? What's the details? What's your asking price? I think we purchased the equipment for about $28,500. And we probably, I flipped it for about $95,000. Um, How long did it take you to move it? Great question. It took me about four months. Wow. It, you know, it's like the pursuit of happiness where he has all these like little devices that he mm-hmm. bought and like they're in his kitchen. And it was really like that. I was like, I just locked up about dollars uh, $28, in capital that I can't use to buy screwdrivers or tools or cars or, or anything else or build a website or pay the bloggers to blog about the website to try to get the, be- the better SEO ranking. And the sales just weren't coming. The leads were coming, but I couldn't close it because, like, I just didn't have the patience. Like, like I, I was too anxious to close the deal within five minutes that I couldn't do what I was doing before and just sit on the phone for about an hour and listen and talk and, you know, don't worry that you're in California. We're going to ship it to you. And this is how we operate. And FaceTime, I'm like, I'm like on the phone, I'm like, we got these deals ready to go, ready to go, ready to set a wire. And they're like, no. what is their pulse count? It's like, what's the mileage on this? And I'm like, okay, next. So I, I was very like ADHD, kind of like this conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I, I didn't close the deal for, I'd say the first two to three months, honestly. All the revenue that was coming in to keep the doors open was all from the repair department and so the parts. What was your turning point where you realized, I need to slow down on the phones. I need to listen to what these customers are asking me and telling the, me. Great question. By the time we got, within a month, by December 1st, we moved into New York. We outgrew the space. I mean, a kitchen counter and, uh, you know, the stove to use as a 220. So my brother had a friend that had a a full floor on 30th Street and 7th Avenue, 363 7th Avenue, 14th floor. 
And that's where our first showroom opened. And it was about maybe about 900 square feet. It was about a third of the floor for us. And then we, we shared the kitchen and we shared the conference room, which was a really nice conference room. We paid month to month rent, so we didn't have to lock in a five or 10 year lease like you usually do with commercial space in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So he really did us a favor and he actually works with me now. He's our, he's my COO. So he's our chief operating officer and his name is Iran, really nice guy. And basically, I quickly understood why everyone thought I was crazy that I wanted to open a showroom in Manhattan. I mean, try to find parking in Manhattan is one thing, mm -hmm. but trying to load and unload a minivan, you know, without having a ton of employees, it was just me and Ron trying to lift these like 300 pound machines to get them into the car, to get them back to the clients in Long Island, oh. you know? Holy. And then I have, you know, NYPD giving me left and right tickets for here's a $115 ticket, here's a $65 ticket, here's an extra ticket for not listening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. These machines cure cancer, and we're dropping off at NYU. And officer, I understand that you know, I'm not allowed to park here, <laughs> but there's radiation. We, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes like that excuse worked, but sometimes they were just like, you've been parked here for overnight, and <laughs> here's your damn ticket. So then we had to pay for a parking garage, and then the parking garage was $600 a month. And then I really understood why everyone thought I was crazy to open up a showroom in Manhattan because the expenses would just grow like 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 within within a day. I mean, every day to open up the doors became more and more expensive for different reasons. If you wanted to take a client out to lunch, if you wanted to order in lunch, if you wanted to, you know, pay for the parking, the tolls, the gas, the miles on the car. And then in the beginning we used Zipcar because we couldn't afford to buy a car, so we rented a car every day, which was a very high premium, because if car, mm -hmm. like those types of, you know, you're supposed to rent it like once or twice a month, and then it becomes more affordable than buying your own car. But you're renting it every day, and the bill comes out to $150 a day, you know, sure. <laughs> times 30 days, yeah. uh, you're, spending, you're looking at like $4,500 to own a car a month, and I'm like, holy shit. Anyways, so we opened up on 7th Avenue, and within... A month, we hired another technician. It didn't work out at the end. Then we hired an office manager, and she was there for about eight months. Then, I mean, there was just... Uh, none of us had real management experience. My mother was very talented at, like, a high level and uh, understanding customer service and marketing and brainstorming and um, problem-solving. My brother was the, the chief operating officer. Sorry, the chief financial officer. My apologies the CFO, and he was just amazing with numbers. He understood how to make sure that every bill got paid, that we had enough money, that we had put a little bit to the side, but then reuse it because we needed it. And Ron was an amazing technician, engineer. Is Ron still with you today? Ron is still with me. And I was really great at sales. So all each one of us was an expert in our field. None of us were the jack of all trades, I'd say. And we each needed each other for this to work. So it sounded like there was a huge learning curve. Huge learning curve. And after this curve, did you feel like there was like one specific day where it or just not like a day, but like a period where you flipped into kind of where you are today? Or is it just learning over no. time? Time. Today, I'm talking to myself this morning about, you know, Things are not going well at the office. Well, you can't scream at, the, at your employees because then they won't want to work for you and they won't feel good coming to work. And you want your people to feel good every day coming to work with a smile on their face so mm -hmm. that they don't complain if they have to stay late, God forbid, or that, they, that they're just generally happy. Because like, I remember what it was to have anxiety at night about having shitty bosses and bad management. Worst feeling in the world. It's the worst feeling in the world. I mean, you're not talking about having like, you know... Not to go off topic, but like renting an apartment with no windows, and like you can deal with that, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't deal with going to work somewhere for eight to ten hours a day and having a shitty manager, having a shitty owner. Rips your soul apart, man. I know the feeling. And you feel it's bad terrible. about it. Yeah, you're stressing about work, and then you're going to work to stress. I mean, Correct. it's fucking terrible. So, like every day, I'm talking to myself, and what I realize is that after listening to podcasts, honestly, which is funny <laughs> that I'm doing a podcast now, but and watching movies and not really reading because I'm not a really big reader, but asking from old or 
business owners, what they did and really meditation, self-awareness, self-reflection and wanting to having a vision of who I want to be. And it does not look like the Steve Jobs or like that asshole CEO that even though they have, might have a genius idea or a great business and most of the time it could be fun, you know, getting screamed at. You should, the employee should never get screamed at. Like what went wrong? Are you too busy? Or is there too much on your plate? You know, do we need to add another person to to manage uh, the to, situation? To, help, to manage the situation or help your 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 tasks to be completed? You know, I don't really say I need this done today unless it's an emergency. Like I, I honestly, I learned that in the morning or late at night, I'll I'll WhatsApp or text every single person and like the head of each department, what needs to be done, what I need done from that department. And then they'll print it out and they'll make a checklist and they'll let me know what was done. And that's the way that things will operate And that, you know, I can't continuously scream at people. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm working at because, you know, they don't understand that. Like if the wire didn't come in today, it's like, well, how do you think that I'm going to pay you this week? You know? And it's like, but that's, that's not their fault. They're doing their absolute best and they get all my employees get paid very well. They get really nice bonuses. It's a fun environment. We, we actually moved offices to 28th between 5th and Broadway. We have two floors now. We have the penthouse. It has about a thousand square feet of outdoor space. We do beautiful parties. Um, really cool ho holiday party. We actually took everyone to Chris Rock this year. That's for, awesome. For, yeah. for right in December at uh, Madison Square Garden. So it's definitely a fun environment, but what I what I, I'm so appreciative of my staff now because they don't clock out at six o'clock. They'll stay until six thirty, seven, eight o'clock. They'll get there early if I need them to. You know, if the driver needs to drive to Virginia, he'll leave at four a.m. so that by eight a.m. he's already or nine a.m. he's already in Virginia picking up the machine from the doctor. He won't leave at nine a.m. like a normal employee will, and then get there at one and then get stuck at traffic and get home at eight. You know, and then I'll give them the, uh, like if they, sometimes they'll do drives and like, I'll just be like the next day, paid day off, enjoy your day off. You've been driving for the past, you know, 24 hours within mm -hmm. two days. Well, it sounds like you understand each other. You have the synergy going, you know, you're being a good manager and you're respecting your I'm employees. I'm learning now. Probably in the past six months, I've really changed. What was that uh, culminating from? In the beginning, I'd scream at the clients if they were just paying the ass clients. Like <laughs> I gave the best customer service, but sometimes they're just so demanding. I was like, listen. Call my old bosses, see how they treat you. Call the manufacturers, get taken advantage of. But don't sit up, don't ride my ass. The repair's being done. We can't expedite this process any faster. We're doing the work right now. But they're like, I need the machine right now, right now. So then I was like, what can I do to give better customer service? Because we can't speed up these repairs. They take time. Yeah. So I realized that if I want to give the best customer service, I have to be different. So I started to spend tens of thousands, honestly hundreds of thousands of dollars on extra equipment to provide as loaners. So when the repair when the repair is needed, the clients are still being able to treat their clients for laser hair removal mm -hmm. so they don't have to reschedule their patients and basically give it to them for cost. Like they pay $500 for their, for their loaner, but they're generating thousands of dollars a day. Anyways... They must love that, though. Nobody they else love is doing they that love for it. them. If you read our Google reviews, I think we have like 4.8 stars with like 135 reviews. And, you know, the, any of the negative reviews, which I think are like three or four of them, um, are either spam that my old bosses basically had their, asked their clients to put. The end, huh? or, they became uh, your competition. Yeah. I mean, honestly, well, no, they're in New Jersey I became no? their competition in a sense. Right, yeah. right. And not in an ego way, but we really are giving better customer service. We're giving a faster response time. We're always available. Like they don't always pick up their phone calls like after six o'clock. Like if you if a client calls me at 10 p.m. or 6 a.m., I'm answering them. Um, we're providing tracking numbers the second something shipped. Like like really like the, like you know how Amazon, like you never get a no. Mm -hmm. Like you know when you have to return something, they're like here's the label, the refund's being processed. It will take three to five days. It's easy to use and you just have a good feeling with them. And not like sure. you do with Apple right now, who... Uh, no, mean, a lot of shitty customer service. A lot of shitty customer service, a lot of unethical things that they're doing. You know, and you just... I believe that it's not always about making a lot of money right away, but... Well, now I've had to accept it because growing a business doesn't happen overnight, but... 
that providing these loaners that instead of taking out bigger bonuses for myself that I'd rather give the clients better customer service, which will help build my brand name. And now we just invested in probably the biggest show ever at the Javits Center. And this is what, your third or fourth year? This is my third year at the Javits Center. And we have one of the biggest booths there. It's a 20 by 30. Um, I have about 15 people coming. We have two massage beds that are or two treatment beds. And what is the show that? So that it's actually for? so it's it's really funny. So we're not just buying, selling, renting, and repairing anymore. We buy, sell, rent, repair, supply parts, offer financing, training, um, and also we're doing in-house financing now, which is really nice because I started to understand what it is to finance equipment because it's compounded interest, which is the, you know, as Warren Buffett calls it the eighth wonder or Albert Einstein calls it the eighth wonder of the world and compounding interest. Once you understand it, I think a lot of people don't understand they it. Don't. Do, you, do you have they a don't. simple way of explaining it? You think a simple way would be that understanding that if every day you add up A simple way of explaining compounding interest. If I give you $20 and I charge you 10% interest every month, the second month I'll have $22 out. Then the next month you're going to do 10% on $22, mm-hmm. not on 20 So you're actually going to have $2.2 back. So then the, 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 the month after that you'll have $24 at $24.20 and it grows that way. It's not every month you're going to make an extra $2. Right. And eventually by the time you get to month 10, you're probably having like hundreds of dollars and just it just happens. It's exponential. It's exponential. And that's how you make money. And that's really the way that you make big money. Is these banks and these people that are giving out loans and credit cards and you know cash cash advancements to businesses. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's definitely high interest, but the banks are not approving them. They're startup businesses and they don't have options. So don't, I explained to the clients, don't look at it like you're paying $1,500 a month when you could be paying 1000 if the bank was to approve you. You're paying $1,500 a month to have the opportunity to make ten to $20,000 a month. And without me taking the risk because you have a 600 FICO score and you have two homes and a car and a boat, that I'm still going to give you at these this equipment is that now you have the opportunity to generate hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year, and without me, you, you, your business can't grow. You've become the ultimate middleman. You allow yourself to to be at every point in their um, their occupation. Yeah, yeah, and we provide now business development consulting, which is free. I do not charge the clients. I believe that if I help my clients grow their businesses that every year I won't need to call them and say, hey, do you need to add more equipment? But they'll call me and say, hey, I need to buy three machines this year. My business is kicking ass and I need more equipment and I love working with you, Ari. That's an awesome way to approach it. You know, I agree. So what, what would you think would be something that you would tell a young entrepreneur today, especially looking at mistakes you'd feel like you've made in the past and just growing you've done over this time trying to open his own business? I mean- what would you tell a young, hot-headed Ari looking to make a jillion dollars? Patient, <laughs> understanding of others, listen to learn how to listen to what your employees or your clients are telling you and not always think that you're right. So really let go of your ego um, to learn how to communicate to people, especially your own staff uh, and clients set proper expectations within roles of different departments and proper expectations of shipping delivery dates with clients, meditate, and to be really self-aware. Because when you have so much stress, it's so easy to lose your cool, but it's so difficult to stay calm during a stressful or anxious period of your business or personal life. And that people won't want to work for you. And now that's happened to me. People, I, I've never had someone leave the company and say, I can't work for you. But I have had really sad nights that I lost it on my staff or that, you know, I, I'm just fed up with, why didn't this get done? Why, 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 why? Like, why couldn't you complete this task? I could do it. Why can't you do it? And to be understanding that 
they're not the business owners that even though they're amazing employees, yes, they'll stay until seven, eight o'clock, they'll wake up early and everything, but they're not gonna answer an email at midnight most likely. And that you can't force them to do that. And that they are gonna get sick. And that they do have kids that sometimes they'll have to leave early too. And that, you know, sometimes they're they're gonna come in with a bad attitude and they're just having a rough day. You don't need to personalize it and more be like, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do to help cheer you up, you know, and to to be the CEO one day that I envision myself. And as of now, I would never take that title because I think that when you take that title, I have to continuously, I want to learn more about accounting and the, the financial aspect of the business, a little bit more about HR. I know the clinical, I know the technical, I know the parts, I know the sales. Um, I'm learning to... M- understand more efficient processes and that there's no such thing as shortcuts as well uh, and that the cheap is the expensive. Cheap is the expensive. Usually I would charge 3% extra if you were using a credit card. And I realized that it's actually illegal in the state of New York to do that. And it became a law that you can't upcharge the client because the of the way that, payment you know, method. the payment method that because, you, you know, PayPal or Amex charge you 3%, for the processing fee that you can't charge at the client. So now if it's a thousand dollar now if it's a thousand dollar sale, you know, I'm paying thirty dollars to to Amex or PayPal and that I used to charge the client. And then every month I'd have these post dated checks for the rental clients. And then it was just so annoying if I would just have a credit card and eat the thirty dollars, I wouldn't be in the fifteenth of the month trying to trying to, you know, see who who paid and who didn't pay what check did go what did what check didn't clear what check did go through you know uh, when is it going to convert to a sale i mean some of the things people you might not be following but basically don't be cheap not only with your staff but also within yourself because sometimes the cheap way is the longer way and that just causes more work for different departments especially when you're collecting money to me, it sounds. Are that... you follow? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does make sense. Like eat the three percent so that you don't have to have the so you, you know. Continue so to that one thousand So my assistant, is, my assistant is not on the fifteenth of the month. Hey, did the, did the check go through? If it didn't, then you have to call the client and deal with the bouncing of the checks. Right. Just swipe the card. Yalla. Yalla. Next next task. Move on. Move on. Like yeah. just go. Keep growing. I think that you had so much growth over this journey, and that's what I love the most about this story. It seems that you've, as you've learned the business, you've also grown as a person, and that I feel like it's made you a better human being. I feel like you feel like it's made you a better human being. Definitely, and at the end of the day, the money's the bonus. You do it for the hustle, and that's really the truth. I don't wake up and I'm like, I want to put a million dollars in my pocket today, or, you know, I, I mean, I hope I close business and everything, but I do it because, like, it's this it's this adrenaline rush and i'm not an adrenaline junkie but like it's a high it's like is the shipping going is it going to arrive on time is this machine going to blow up you know you know is this machine even going to turn on today you know? and uh, yeah it's a lot of self reflection i didn't think that you know now i understand why these ceos of apple and everything they wake up at 4:30 because I started waking up actually at like 5.45 about a year and a half ago every day. Probably get out of bed and have my coffee by around 6. And I try to go to the gym. And I've been slacking a little bit. But because, not because you want to, but because you actually need to. You need to have about a half hour before, you know, if you have kids and a wife, before you interact with them. Or, you know, before you get on the phone with clients. You can't wake up at 7.30 and get on the phone by 8.30, 9 o'clock. And uh, you have no time for yourself. In the morning, you need to have about a half hour to an hour in the morning to just prepare yourself for the anxiety and stress that you're going to have that day. And to be able to know that you will get through this, you got through it yesterday, and that you can get through anything. And then at night, to also have that wind-down period. You know, I live alone, which is great now. I used to always live with roommates. And to be able to talk to myself and, you know, listen to music and unwind and reflect upon what I did well today, what I can do better tomorrow, and what I didn't. The most important is to really reflect on what you feel like you could improve your personal or business life in and change that because that's the hardest to change. What would you um, 
you know, to give yourself a plug, uh, if anyone wanted to reach out to you to buy a machine, uh, get entrepreneurial advice, or maybe come work for you as a salesman or maybe a technician, where could they reach you? They could reach me on my cell phone six days a week. Well, really seven. I just don't work from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown for religious reasons, but they can come by the showroom on 15 West 28th Street, Suite 10B and Penthouse A. Um, and my cell phone is 646-455-7436, 646-455-7436. And check out our Facebook, our Instagram page, NY Laser Outlet, our YouTube, Twitter, read our Google reviews and our Yelp reviews. And if anyone's listening, um, and they want to make over $100,000 this year, and they have what it takes to become a sales rep, give me a call. And I promise you I will make sure that you don't walk home with anything less than 100K. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode on the Disconnection Podcast, where we aim to inform, inspire, and close the disconnections in your life. We'd like to thank our special guest today, Ari Marom with NY Laser Outlet for giving us a unique perspective on a range of topics. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and our website, Dis-Connection. That's Disconnection. My name is Kyle. I've been Ben. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Disconnection.